Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Balance and Moderation podcast. This show is dedicated to helping health-conscious individuals elevate their mind, body, and spirit through a realistic and compassionate approach. My name is Sheridan Lee, and in today's episode, Rob and I are diving deep into the mind-body connection. Ah, this is one of my favorite topics of all time. Not only do we explore this connection from a physiology perspective, but we also dip our toes into the waters of spirituality, providing you all a greater insight into why lifestyle choices not only affect your physical health, but also your mental and your emotional health. This is going to be a very foundational episode for our podcast, and we are so excited to share this with you. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, review, and share with the people in your life. Big love is our motto, and our message is for everyone. Well, everyone over 18, as some content may be inappropriate for minors. With that being said, I would like to introduce you to the Mind-Body Connection. Enjoy! It's all good. Okay, well, we are both recording now. Okay, and sweet. We're, our voices are both popping up. I apologize about that. <laughs> but hey, technical difficulties. It's a uh, it's every day, bro. To quote uh, Jake Paul, <laughs> 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 it's every day, bro. Such a such a great prophet, yeah. philosopher of our time. I think we're great gonna role back. model for the Gen Zers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna lie. I kind of enjoy his antics a little bit. I mean, I think it's kind of funny. I I don't indulge in a lot of that YouTuber, TikTok, famous people. I don't think any of us should really. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I know it's also just not really the era that that we grew up in. I'm not trying to make it wrong, but I do see, you know, I don't have a whole lot of social media. I pretty much just use Instagram and Snapchat because I think Snapchat is funny. And if anything, I see Snapchat news a lot. And they're always updating on the latest YouTuber and TikToker drama. So I'm actually familiar with all of these people, even though I don't I don't own TikTok. I've never been on TikTok. Um, but it's just funny knowing what these people like Dixie D'Amelio and James Charles are up to. I'm like, I have no relation to these people yeah. at all. That's funny because that's the way that I keep up on all that stupid drama is I am trying to find distraction. And I will find it through the news feeds in Snapchat. Yeah, the Snapchat news feeds are pretty hilarious. You'll find some really crazy like plastic surgery horror stories in there from time to time, which, um, you know, if there's any indication that you maybe should do your research before you get any elective procedure, um, that's check out your Snapchat news. <laughs> yeah, feed. yeah. Um, yeah, but enough about Snapchat. Today, the episode is about mind-body connection. It's awesome. But first, before we start, let's check in a little bit. Cher, we just got done with the holidays. How are you feeling? How are you doing? What's up with Cher? Um, Cher is good. I've actually been on top of my stuff a lot more this week. Um, I've been working a lot more at the studio. We've been prepping for, you know, the eventual 
launch of our podcast since we are um, kind of prepping this in advance. Um, so I've been busy with that. I've been busy uh, moving into my new house. It's been about a month and uh, things are finally coming along, which is really exciting, but just kind of trying to tidy up and get everything in order. Um, physically, I've been doing pretty well, um, but I just, like I'd been talking to you, I've actually been considering cutting alcohol out, especially after the holidays. Um, I definitely find myself being a lot more prone to saying yes to things like alcohol or foods that maybe aren't the best suited for my body because I am with family and I don't want to be rude. I don't want to say no all the time. I want to be part of the fun. But then I get to the end of the weekend and I feel like total crap. And I know I've noticed this over the year, um, probably because I've been just like everybody else drinking more this year than I'm typically used to. I'm learning how much alcohol really doesn't work for my body, not just, you know, in the aftermath, but even while I'm drinking it, it makes me really anxious, makes me really tired and sluggish. And then I'm recovering for almost a full day afterwards, not even that I'm hungover, but I just feel crappy. And then mentally, I'm not completely present either. So it just takes so much time and energy away from my life and myself and by the time that we're recording this, it's uh, December 29th, December 30th, I believe. Yep. And I'm not planning on drinking for New Year's Eve. And that's going to be my first New Year's Eve not drinking since I was probably about 16 years old. That is taking a stand, I think, personally. Yeah. <laughs> Just, and I, I, I think that's awesome that you're doing that. I know I'm trying not to maybe go as crazy, but I'm not going to say I'm not going to drink on New Year's. <laughs> um, I won't hold it against you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. No worries. Um, but that's good. I mean, I think I I, I can kind of uh, empathize with you on what you're putting down is because I feel that way a lot with food with my family during the holidays and alcohol in general. And I just got back from from Boise, Idaho, visiting uh, my girlfriend's parents. And it was a great trip. It was awesome. But this morning, waking up after traveling all day yesterday, sleeping on an air mattress, not having the nutrition that I'm usually keeping up with, it, I kind of felt really sluggish this morning. And I basically, I was telling you before, I fasted through the morning, and I've only really eaten a little bit of almond butter and some coconut whipped cream. And I actually feel a lot better right now. I feel like my brain is getting less and less foggy as I separate myself from a high sugar, alcohol, uh, carby diet. Mm. And luckily for me, being more, uh, typically eating more of a fat-based diet, I kind of get back into not necessarily ketosis, but just more of a fat burning brain kind of just in a good energy place that I think it it takes a little bit longer if you're not used to eating fats a lot. So I'm thankful for that. But feeling better, uh, feeling a little bit more like myself, I know if that all gets out of whack mentally, I was just a little bit irritable. Like I got in an argument with my mom this morning that probably didn't need to happen. But it I wasn't. did the exact same thing. Oh, That's so funny. Oh, yeah. cute twins. Cute. Arguing with parents. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, that, so... 
I mean, crazy, but I'm sure it was a similar. I don't know if it was similar for you, but we can kind of maybe go in and and talk about the topic today of of mind body connection because definitely my body was completely out of whack, and there's no chance that my mind's going to be in a present calm place. That even if I feel like I didn't bring the conversation to the point it got to today, I definitely should have been in a place where I could have brought it back down. Definitely. Yeah. And I think um, just to kind of clarify for people, maybe even I think most people have heard about the mind-body connection at this point. I think that terminology, that understanding of how our body works is that it is an integrated system. Our body is not just like a collection of parts that work independently from one another. Like we've been learning in the conventional medical field for forever. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But basically, mind-body connection is kind of a twofold thing. So in one way, it's how does the mind affect the body? How do our beliefs, our values, how does the way that we conceptualize the world, in essence, our mindset, affect the body, the physiological stress response, our hormones, et cetera, et cetera. But then it's also how does the body affect the mind? What, how does what we put into our system affect our mental output? So it's a bi-directional system. It's not just the mind affecting the body or just the body affecting the mind. And I think one of the really great things that we've seen uh, in both of our lives is that if you affect one intentionally, you also unintentionally or indirectly affect the other. And that can be a beneficial thing if you're doing something good for your mind, for example. But then it can also bite you in the ass if, like we were talking about, we weren't really eating the foods that were best suited for our bodies. Maybe we were drinking or consuming things that we don't typically consume, but we're just part of the festivities. And then mentally, we kind of put ourselves in a little bit of a tailspin that we have to rework to get ourselves out of it. No, I I definitely agree. And I I love, and I think you're the first person I heard it from, and I don't know if you came up with yourself, but the bi, uh, what you're saying, bi-directional? Yeah, the the bi-directional system. Because it's almost like a cyclical thing. It's a chicken and the egg. It's like, what comes first? You know, did you get your mind right and you got your body right? Or did you get your body right, then it got your mind right? And I think it just depends on the person. But I know for me personally, in that kind of that direction, normally my direction is body first, then mind. Mm-hmm. And that has always seemed to be more natural for me to do. And just if, and I've talked about it before, but if my fitness is in line and my fitness is steady and, and a positive part of my life and I'm doing the things I want to do in that regard, generally everything else mentally just kind of falls in line for me. Yeah. So since we're just kind of touching on fitness, do we want to talk about like those neuromuscular connections? Yeah, I mean, it it goes down. We we can definitely talk about that, you know, and it's something too that I think helps with people that are maybe just getting back into the gym or starting out fresh. You know, people get very discouraged when they go in the gym and they can't not even just lift heavy weight, but a lot of people go in the gym and they can't lift what they used to lift maybe even a couple years ago. And not even lift it close, like it's completely, you know, you There's go a from huge disparity. You go from benching benching one eighty five to barely being able to get ninety five pounds, and you don't know what's going on. And a lot of that is just 
your nervous system, the mind connecting to your muscular system, the, the neuromuscular connections that activate your muscles through those movements, through um, that and, and understanding and having that activation and understanding and being able aware of how your body's moving helps you through benching, squatting, running, whatever you're doing. And as your body gets better at those skills, it becomes more efficient at utilizing your muscles. And it's just a whole cohesive system of making you faster, stronger, in better, like whatever, giving you more endurance because your body becomes more efficient the more you do something. Any kind of movement is a skill. If your body's never moved in that way, your brain's got to catch up. Mm -hmm. Your brain's not going to let you just jump under a bar and do 185 pounds if you've never done it. It has to feel the weight, understand it, what muscles need to activate, keeping your equilibrium. There's all these different kind of sensory things that go into lifting heavy weights or even running in, a, in an efficient way, being mindful of your gait, understanding how your muscles are activating through the stride can help you to run more efficiently and better. And everything is a, a skill and that, that skill is developed through that neuromuscular connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, even just from personal experience, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, but whenever I try a new exercise for the first time, whether it's a new yoga pose or a new resistance circuit or things like that, the first couple of times you do it, you're like, this is really awkward. Like this doesn't really feel right in my body. And if you're lucky, you'll have somebody like a personal trainer like yourself, um, kind of coach you through it and be like, These, this is what you're supposed to be feeling. These are the muscles that are supposed to be activating. Um, and if you're feeling it here, try adjusting like this, and then you'll feel it the way that you're supposed to. And then after a couple of tries, that repetition, that practice makes perfect, those neural connections become stronger. And then after a couple of reps or maybe after a couple of weeks, whatever it is, you're like, oh, I can do this exercise now and it's a breeze, which is just kind of goes to show how your, your mind and your body from a neuromuscular point of view are connected. Oh yeah. And then, you know, you can go into that kind of connection and then also just something that's very consistent with high level competitors is a lot of them have a certain practice of visualization. They have some kind of visual vi visualizing, like meditation. They go through the sequences in their head. They sit down and quiet, and they run through their performance or whatever plays. And and that even can be seen to help power lifters, them going through their lifts in their head. It's been seen that just mentally working through something in your head will make you more efficient at it when you go to do it. So I think that... I mean, if that's not a glaring, you know, example of a mind-body connection, I, I, I mean, I think in the fitness realm, that's that's pretty, pretty close to it. Yeah, definitely. And even just to kind of take that almost point of connection, the mind-body connection from an exercise, a fitness point of view, I noticed that, you know, like I was talking about earlier, if I don't work out, or I'm not physically active, I'm a lot less mentally resilient throughout the day. I'm a lot less focused. I'm more cloudy. I'm more anxious or prone to, you know, snapping at a friend or a family member, things like that. And as soon as I am cognizant of the fact that I'm a little out of my element, I know 
the first thing I need to do is I need to sweat. I need to move my body. I need to either take myself to a fitness studio or I need to do a yoga flow in my house. And as soon as I get that blood moving and release that stagnation in the body, it's like I can breathe again. Like my brain can breathe again. And it's even just, you know, probably because I am actually breathing more, I'm getting that prana, that life force moving through me. For those of you who may or may not be spiritual, you your breath, you can consider it being like your your life energy. And if you're holding your breath or you're not activating your breath throughout the day, you're creating stagnation and tension and stress in the body, which is why we found so much benefit from these practices like pranayama, which really focus on essentially breath work, meditation, whatever, uh, whatever have you. And that's why you feel so good mentally once you're done is because you're really moving that, that life force through you. Yeah. N- no, I mean, obviously, I think you know I completely agree with that sentiment. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, I think there's a lot of physiological processes that happen through working out that just enhance your mind in so many ways. Just increasing neuroplasticity, it's helping you learn more, just just getting more nutrients to your brain, you know, getting those, uh, getting the the kind of chemical processes moving that move those nutrients across that blood brain barrier just helps if you're moving your body and your body is circulating fluids efficiently. Yeah. And even in, you know, kind of a different direction, uh, the exercise can actually be really beneficial. Well, it, it well, it is really beneficial for your gut health, for example, which is something that I don't think people necessarily think about because especially if you've ever had issues like constipation or, you know, you're not getting consistent bowel movements or things like that. If you're not having at least two bowel movements a day, you're constipated. Would you agree with that? Uh, I think that depends on the person. Word. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a one one in the morning. You're a one a day. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely a two a day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but okay, maybe at least one, at least one. But I know people who haven't had any movements for like, you know, they have two a week. That's, and I just can't imagine that's, that. I, I would just be so stressed out. I mean, not to talk about poop for too long. I mean, it's important. We need it to is talk important. About it. Um, I noticed that I actually get stressed out when I'm constipated because I'm literally holding holding it all in. So on top of working out, releasing those endorphins, getting that sweat, getting those toxins out of my system, moving the energy in my body, as soon as I'm done working out, I need to run to the bathroom and let it out because it's almost like that exercise, whether it's the stretching, the isometric compression, doing a yoga flow, doing some cardio, it actually is like massaging your internal organs, that GI system, and giving your brain the signal like, hey, it's like, we're safe. We're good. We can go relieve ourselves now. Well, because it's a vulnerable position for a developing animal or mammal Mm -hmm. in whatever regards. And I'm sure at one point it was very vulnerable for us to go use the restroom. Yeah. If you're in a fight or flight or that sympathetic tone, um, if you're in a fight or flight state, your main concern is not where are you going to go to the bathroom next? 
It's I need to run away from this danger that's in front of me, whether it's a mountain lion or a deadline or a project or your boss that's yelling at you. Our understanding of stress has changed as the modern world has developed, but our physiological responses to stress haven't changed. So, and I think, you know, this has also been in a lot more of the mainstream conversation, which I'm really happy that it has been. But like I was saying, your body, when it's in a stressed out state, doesn't know if it's in a life or death situation, but it feels like it is. And when your body feels like it's in a life or death situation, it's not going to be in that rest or digest phase. It's going to be in a high stress pro-inflammatory state, which is what most Americans are existing in 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Oh, I, I would... I would definitely agree. I mean, I mean, chronic stress just, you know, that's, I think just even stress, you know, we talk about food, we talk about sleep, we talk about all those things. I think all of those things obviously collectively increase the stress, but I think the one thing tipping the scale for just our overall health as a society is our stress levels. And I think, Mm. you know, we don't have enough in our life to relieve stress. And like we were saying, just to kind of bring it back, but if your body is physically feeling stress too, whether it be you're constipated because you had a brick of cheese or, <laughs> you know, or... Definitely been there. Yeah. <laughs> we, we've all been there. Or maybe you were sitting in a poor posture all day and your muscles are all tight and everything. Your body feels that stressed out kind of your, if your body feels like it's in a stressed out environment, your brain's going to feel like that. You're going to feel that you're going to have higher anxiety. You're going to be, you're going to be a little bit more scatterbrained. You know, you're going to be in like we talk about that that fight or flight, and it just kind of trickles down and and just hurts you in so many different ways. Yeah, exactly. Something that I wanted to touch on in our conversation was um, kind of introducing the mind-gut connection, which I know we've just kind of briefly sprinkled into um, the last couple of minutes. Um, But I really wanted to kind of explain to people what the enteric nervous system is, if you've never heard of it, and also what the vagus nerve is. So for those of you who may not be familiar, um, you don't just have your central nervous system, which is your brain and your brainstem, or your peripheral nervous system, which is like all of your your cranial nerves that are going through all the different, going to all the different organs in your body. But you also have an enteric nervous system, which is an entire nervous system that is housed within the lining of your GI tract. There are more than 100 million nerve cells lining your entire GI tract. And it actually, this enteric nervous system makes more than 30 neurotransmitters in the body, including 90% of the body's serotonin and 50% of the body's dopamine. And I'll kind of touch on what serotonin and dopamine do in the body, but just think about that. If your gut, like so many people have gut issues, whether it's IBS, Crohn's, chronic inflammation, um, and even if it's not like a chronic illness, but a lot of people just have digestive issues these days, how much that's not only affecting their physical health, but how it's affecting their mental health. Yeah, the, the gut is huge. And I, 
the the you said the iteric or enteric enteric. So have I'm, you have you heard of that before? So no, I mean I've I've kind of heard a brief overview of what you were talking about as far as you know basically a nervous system within the gut. I didn't know it was called that, mm-hmm. but makes sense. Intern enteric. Yeah, like okay. the gastroenterology. There we mm-hmm. go. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Those root words, Latin baby. That's. I mean, <laughs> that's uh, the 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 statistics. You know, I know those things per se, but I didn't know. You said ninety percent of serotonin and fifty percent of dopamine. Yeah, and you know, everyone thinks of serotonin as kind of like the happiness molecule, which is is true, definitely to an extent. But serotonin is responsible for so many other pro- processes in the body. It's not only responsible for mood regulation, but also for your sleep, your bone health, wound healing. Actually, there's a part of serotonin that actually is part of that blood clotting binding response, um, your sexual libido, and also your gut motility. So it's kind of interesting because... When you say gut motility... Pooping. Oh, yeah. Okay. Just, just, just making <laughs> well, sure. So we're just bringing it back to pooping. Just but- bringing it back to poop. <laughs> no, but um, I mean, it's how you're um, that peristalsis, how your body, how, how the GI tract actually moves substances throughout the system so that you can absorb the nutrients that your body needs and lay waste what it doesn't need. But that GI lining is responsible for creating the serotonin, not only that the gut needs to, you know, move the uh, the food, the substances through the system, but um, it also creates the serotonin that goes straight up to your brain that keeps you your mood stable and your hormones balanced and in check and things like that. Um, and then as far as dopamine, dopamine is responsible for so many different processes in the body. I was just doing a little research before our conversation and it's a contributing factor in motor function, mood, uh, problem solving, decision making, also associated um, when it's, when you're deficient in dopamine, it's associated with some movement and psychiatric disorders. A lot of times people think of dopamine being associated with Parkinson's but it's also involved in your digestion, blood flow, executive functioning, cardiac and kidney health, memory and focus, pancreatic function and insulin regulation, pain and pleasure regulation, sleep and stress response. And 50% of it's made in your gut. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, that just goes to show you the whole you are what you eat. Yeah. It's pretty significant. Now, I mean, that... I don't, I love kind of talking about this because it kind of makes me think more in a primal kind of like, why did we evolve like that? What What is the significance of that complete connection to our gut? And it is because everything we put in our body is what we nourish ourselves with. So obviously the gut is going to be, you know, if that's where the food is going, it just makes sense that the body would evolve for that to have such a huge impact on our lives and then you know you get into dopamine and serotonin i mean for me personally me eating bad will make me depressed eventually oh i mean a hundred percent i i've gone through the exact same thing and i think we've kind of touched on that in the podcast but you know uh a couple years back when i had no concept of what it was that I was putting into my body, whether it was my food or even like my music choices or exercise or 
you know, even kind of talking from an energetic standpoint, like the relationships I was involved in, I didn't know how much that was affecting, like, not just my physical health and my immune health, but it was also affecting me psychologically and putting me at a huge disadvantage. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, when you, when you say those statistics like that, 90% serotonin, 50% dopamine, it, it just goes to show you why, you know, there's such a correlation, you know, if you look and, you know, correlation doesn't mean causation all the time, but there is a distinct correlation between an increase in eating processed foods in this country and an increase also with the amount of prescriptions for mental, mental uh, disorders and just in general, like the decline of mental health coincides with the increase of eating an unnatural diet. Oh my gosh. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I mean, even just thinking about um, how heavily we prescribe antibiotics in probably not just this country, but all around the world, antibiotics, uh, and I'm not saying that all antibiotics are bad or you should never, you know, do a course of antibiotics if you need them, but you should be really mindful of how often you as an individual and we as a society are using antibiotics because the antibiotics don't know um, the difference between killing the good bacteria and killing the bad bacteria, they, they exterminate all of it. And then you're left with this really barren gut biome that isn't able to self-regulate itself or create those neurotransmitters that not only we need for our gut health, but for the health of our brain and the rest of our systems that a lot of people after taking a course of antibiotics notice that they don't feel mentally completely there or they actually get sick again because that serotonin is also a huge part of the immune system. So it's kind of crazy that it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. It's like, yeah, you have a bacterial infection and you need to clear it up, but sometimes the solution is also another problem. So, and, and that can be mitigated, of course, with prebiotics, oh, course, probiotics, yeah. but again you do have to be really mindful of, you know, these uh, processed chemicals that we're putting into our body, even if the intention is for good, there's always a little bit of a caveat with them. And as long as you're aware of that and you're using them mindfully, then it really is not a huge issue. But a lot of people aren't even aware that that is an issue. Yeah. I mean, people will take antibiotics for a lot of stuff that maybe isn't necessarily, it may speed up the healing process, but your body most nine times out of 10 does not need that antibiotic cycle that you're going to go on. And you, and sometimes instead of just taking a couple of days off work, you know, you may be doing harm later down the road. And I know that's one thing I've become a lot more present of is not only just the amount of prescribed antibiotics I've taken, you know, I will pretty much unless I know there's an infection and I can't breathe or something in my chest or like obviously I got cut or anything like that. And, you know, I would definitely take antibiotics. I don't think I've ever had to take one for a cut, but I, I, I have gotten, you know, you get really bad strep throat. You kind of want to take it, mm -hmm. you know? Oh yeah, definitely. And, and there's certain times where you definitely need it. And I think that's one, you know, I think a lot through this podcast, not that we're going to shit on it, but just kind of, push against the grain a little bit with modern medicine. And I believe antibiotics for good uh, specific uses is one of the greatest achievements in modern medicine because we don't die from stubbing our toe on a rock. Yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. And our foot open. But Very I think, grateful for that. But not even just getting it for when I'm sick, but also 
you know, we eat a ton of chicken and poultry in this country. And a lot of times there's so many antibiotics. They're pumped with so many antibiotics and they're, you know, it may not be the same exact pathway of you putting it directly in your body, but it's still it's still getting in your body. It's still getting in your body. So I know for me, just I think gradually my health and my gut biome has gotten a little bit better just from switching to non-antibiotic chicken and, and eggs. Like that's a huge thing for me. And so how do you how do you look for that specifically? Because I mean, I'll go to the meat section or the dairy section and I try to find the the organic meats or the free range chicken eggs or the pasture waste, whatever, whichever one it is. Um, but even and it a lot of these meat companies will say like, oh, there's no antibiotics in this. But then there's like a little asterisk and it's like, we didn't put any antibi antibiotics that like are known carcinogens or whatever it is. I'm probably butchering that. But how do you, how do you know it has no antibiotics in it? What do you look for? I mean, a lot of it just comes down to who you're, where you're getting it. Do you trust that source? You know, researching a lot of times, like you can get stuff from specific farms if you really want to go that deep. I know I use ButcherBox to get my meats mm. and as doing research, they seem very upfront and, and they're, they have a good understanding of, of how antibiotics affect the body and they don't, that's their whole thing is it's all 100% grass fed, no antibiotics, free range chicken, that kind of stuff. And just being free range is a good indicator that it probably aren't, isn't loaded with antibiotics because when chicken isn't free range, you know, everybody's seen those horror stories of the chickens all stacked up and cages and they're all pooping all over each other and, and, oh, yeah. and they're all like right packed in. They need to give them antibiotics or else they'll all die because they're not living in a very, you know, healthy oh, environment. And also, you know, that goes into a whole nother thing. Or why are we eating food that needs antibiotics to live in the environments that they're living? We're just like chickens. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, certain places in the in the country are stacked on top of each other. And um, but yeah, and and also, I mean, I think with eggs too. Eggs, I think, are just important to do free range for a lot of different reasons, but just. I mean, it goes down to you got to really just research the company. You got to look, you got to read the fine print. You got to find it. You may have to find a source on the internet. I just kind of, I don't stress about that stuff too much. You know, I think if you're going organic and trying, and at least, you know, there's a lot of loopholes in getting around and being organic and even grass fed for that. But, you know, if you just do the right research, and I don't know, I don't stress about it too much as long as you're getting good whole foods. But mm -hmm. eggs, it's pretty easy to tell. If it's if it's if it's got a brown shell and it's got a nice like deep orange, like almost mm. a reddish orange yolk, that's gonna be a good egg. And it's you know, it's just gonna be healthier just based on color. So I think one way is just looking at the chicken. If it's a super plump piece of chicken that looks way bigger than you've seen chickens before in your life, it's probably pumped with a bunch of stuff you don't need and it's a little bit, you know, it's not definitely not not organic. Yeah, def, <laughs> so, def not organic. But yeah, yeah, but I mean, just kind of bringing it back. I mean, just eating, just changing little things like that. You know, we talk about this bi-directional pathway, and slowly eating better eggs and poultry, and your stomach working more efficiently, having a better gut biome, leads to more serotonin and dopamine development. It leads to you know better, uh, like you said, gut mo motility. You know that all is going to enhance your life mentally 
your body's going to be in a much... I mean, obviously, you have more dopamine and serotonin. How's that not going <laughs> to make your life a little yeah, better? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even just to kind of branch and go a little bit even deeper into that gut, that mind-body connection as far as your gut health and your mental health, um, we also have the the vagus nerve, which is the longest cranial nerve in the body. Um, it stimulates your, your GI tract. And it basically controls all of the involuntary bodily processes in the body. I wasn't aware of this up until recently, but the vagus nerve is responsible or at least involved in, you know, regulating your digestion, your blood pressure, your breathing rate, your heartbeat, the way that your blood circulates in the body, your gut health, and also like your reproductive health and even your orgasms. So if you don't have a strong, healthy relationship with your vagus nerve, you might also be having some problems with your libido or, um, you know, really enjoying that to um, the fullest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, I mean, that's an important part of health. I mean, it is. we've talked about it. You know, this is not original, but it's the, it's the three H's, the three H's of health. You know, if you're, you know, when I'm trying to figure out whether I'm sick or not, I'm thinking, am I happy? Am I hungry and am I horny? And if those things, if you're probably about two out of three of those for the most part, you're you're probably pretty healthy because your body is functioning. You're getting the right cues for what your body really wants and desires and and different facets of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve is really interesting to me because I, th- I don't know if we specifically said it, but uh, I the product I sell in the medical world is a nerve product. It's not for vagus nerve, it's for peripheral nerves. Mm. But we have run into with some of the the oromaxofacial doctors and the ENTs is is trying to regenerate. The vagus nerve will get cut in certain procedures and things like that. And trying to, it definitely doesn't regenerate the same as your regular nerve, as your peripheral nerves were do. And obviously your central nervous system is a whole nother labyrinth of trying to figure out that regeneration, which we're very rudimentary on, I think, at this mm-hmm. point, are a lot better than we used to be. But the vagus nerve is completely different and it kind of functions different. And you talk about having a relationship with it. Now, does that relationship come through the gut, that kind of relationship? Or is that just from keeping those certain processes and keeping your body active and clean, it kind of helps the nervous system to, to function better? Yeah. So again, um, it is somewhat of a, of a bi-directional pathway. So Basically, the way that the vagus nerve works is when it's healthy, it's stimulated. So sometimes that can be tricky because, you know, if, for example, I'm talking about overstimulation or stimulation of the sympathetic nervous system, we think of stress, we think of pro-inflammatory situations, fight or flight. This is a little bit different. When the vagus nerve is stimulated, it actually activates the parasympathetic nervous system, which like I was mentioning before, is the whole rest or digest conversation. When the vagus nerve is stimulated, um, there's a lining, I think it's both the inner and the outer lining of the GI tract. It's called the myenteric plexus, and it's responsible for gut motility. That also gets activated with uh, vagal nerve stimulation. And when you're gut is in motion, that means that we're in a rest and digest state. That means that we're in a parasympathetic state. We're no longer in fight or flight. So if your gut isn't moving, if it's not like we were talking about, like, you know, getting all those 
absorption, that digestion, that elimination, if that process isn't, is kind of halted in the body, of course we're going to be stressed out. But if that process is moving forward, you know, as it should be, then we're in a pretty relaxed state. So as far as, you know, kind of going out with what you just said is, so the vagus nerve essentially is that pathway when you're in a yeah. good, not stressed, uh, and correct me, and, and maybe, you know, how I'm assuming it is, if you're in a good parasympathetic, you're not stressed, your body will be like, hey, you're good to go. And your vagus nerve will activate certain processes that your body needs to be in to, or it'll activate certain processes that your body needs to be in a parasympathetic uh, response or, or kind of state of mind to do. And then conversely, if you do something that would throw off your, let's say your gut health, then your body's going to, will the direction go backwards through the vagus nerve and it will kind of take your body out of that parasympathetic? So if I'm understanding your, your question uh, correctly, um, like, like I'd been saying, the, the vagus nerve, just kind of like everything else we've been talking about, is kind of that bi-directional pathway. It's not mm-hmm. that, you know, it affects one way versus the other. So when you have a healthy vagus nerve, when that vagus nerve is yeah. being stimulated regularly and you're Re- like your, how, how do I say it? I mean, of course it's your resting state, but your day-to-day state is more so than not in a parasympathetic state. Um, that's when we're able to access the parts of our brain that are associated with creativity, higher cognition, problem solving. Again, that even goes back to the conversation about serotonin and dopamine, even though they're different pathways, they function very similarly. And if your vagus nerve is not being regularly activated, if you're in that stressful state, makes perfect sense that we're only able to access almost more of the primal instincts in our brain. Mm -hmm. So we're not able to access those creativity, that higher cognition, that empathy. We're living in a state of fear, fight or flight response, which honestly, if you think about it, probably most of us have been living in that fight or flight state for most of this year oh yeah and and no i thank you for clarifying that i'm just like you know i just want to especially you know for the audience stuff just kind of understand as far as the vagus nerve i think it's really it's kind of on the forefront of understanding the nervous system and understanding i guess our health in general is the stuff that you're talking about right now and i think just from a standpoint of understanding that Maybe not understanding exactly how the vagus nerve works, but understanding that it's part of that pathway that if you can reduce stress in your life, mm-hmm. everything else is going to kind of kind of fall into place. And also, if you can reduce the stress that you're ingesting, it'll, yeah. help, it'll help your brain and your mind in that way. And the vagus nerve is involved in that. Yeah. No, that's, that's perfect. Exactly. And I wanted to kind of share, you know... Since we're talking about, okay, so vagus nerve stimulation is a good thing. How do you stimulate the vagus nerve? Um, So kind of like you were talking about with, um, you know, you having physicians that actually work with the vagus nerve to some extent or another, the vagus nerve can actually be stimulated um, almost by man through like a physician assistant. You can actually have um, like therapeutic treatments, which actually have been known to, um, you know, show promising results for 
even alleviating some symptoms of mental illness like depression and anxiety because you're getting more of that vagal tone, more of that parasympathetic response. Your gut is, you know, able to move more effectively. You're able to process and create those neurotransmitters, which goes right back up to the brain or however that process exactly works. Um, but your vagal nerve can also be stimulated by yourself naturally through things like breath work, pranayama, meditation, exercise, a diet that's high in omega-3s and probiotics, which makes perfect sense because that's involved with, um, you know, the membranes in the body as well as, you know, just the overall gut biome. And um, actually loving physical touch is really good for the vagus nerve as well. That's, that's really... I don't know. That's that's a cool little note because I think that, you know, there's obviously there's, a, you know, this invisible enemy that we've all been dealing with or per se. Uh, but, you know, I think I think you know, we do these social distancing and stuff and I don't think there's enough talk about physical touch and how it affects our health in general. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big person that even if somebody is sick, I still will hug them. I still will, will comfort them. I still will be there because I know that it helps healing. And if, if you can, you know, obviously from a physiological standpoint, from, you know, basically the science of it, there, there is a science of it, you know, yeah. physical touch activates that vagus nerve, which has a, a role in your body that, that, or has a role in keeping you in a, you know, less stressed yeah, physical touch. I mean, if you think about it, it actually supports the immune system. It does. Yeah. And I don't think that's talked about enough. You know, I don't want to go super deep into that, but yeah, I think we need to understand that it's important to hug people mm -hmm. for your health overall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, even just kind of taking it in a in another direction, it allows you to like release oxytocin in the body, which is that connection molecule. It's really... I mean, if scientists could pinpoint a single molecule and call it love, that's probably what it would be, would be that oxytocin, yeah, oxytocin release, yeah. you know? And so, and having that, that love in your life, having connection to others, whether it's physical or, you know, however it is expressed, that's important for your overall health. Um, and there was actually this really, um, cool thing that I've been doing recently is I've actually been hugging myself a lot because um, okay. I and I know that I don't know if that sounds like a like if that sounds sad but like it actually is it really sound sad you should love yourself it is actually very comforting and as somebody who does um, experience like you know anxiety anxious feelings from time to f time and I'm by myself you know I don't have someone else around to comfort me like I need to comfort myself and like you know even at something as simple as putting a hand over my heart is really relaxing. Um, I, I'd recommend that to people whenever they're experiencing strain or stress in their body. If they're like, oh, my neck's bothering me. Oh, my back's bothering me. You don't even have to like massage yourself, but just like put a hand to it and put some intention behind it and you are going to feel better. At least that's, that's how it's been in my experience, which is um, just really cool. But even just like hugging yourself, stroking yourself, like just giving yourself a little bit of physical TLC, that's actually going to boost your immune system as well. Yeah. And I mean, I think that kind of, you know, and that kind of goes 
you know, we talk about the, that bi-directional pathway and that kind of goes another thing. That's kind of more of a, um, you know, doing something physically like touching, you know, touching somebody else, hugging, embracing, you know, that's more of, I guess, a mental, almost more, sp- in, a, in a way, certain spiritually, yeah. you know, a love and all that. Yeah, definitely. But it brings up your immune system. It has a physical benefit to your body to, to engage in, I guess, basically love, you know, a connection mm-hmm. with somebody and, and having that connection and feeling that person's presence and stuff is going to bring you up in a lot of different facets of your life. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Um, there was one last thing that I wanted to touch on in regards to, you know, almost kind of like the physiology behind how this process works. And I think I've touched on a couple examples, but um, there was actually the study where uh, participants practiced this breathwork exercise. They, I think they did it every single day for a couple of weeks or whatever it was. But um, they saw that when we were able to slow down our breathing and our heart rate, uh, through this breathwork exercise, um, this basically functioned as biofeedback and it relaxed the tension that was held within our body, within our organ systems. And the vagus nerve transmitted the signals of like calm and tranquility, basically what we perceive as calm and tranquility, back up to the brain, which allowed us to switch into a parasympathetic tone. Okay. So it was able to help with gut motility. It was also able to help alleviate feelings of like depression and anxiety simply by practicing breath work or meditation. And the actual pathway that that affects uh, you how is that through, affects that, you. through that vagus nerve. Yeah. You know, I think the vagus nerve is super interesting to me, not just because nerves are a big part of my life, but for this, you got some nerve, Robbie. You got some nerve. Oh, if I heard that, if I had a but nickel I'm... for every joke that, every time I heard that joke in my line of work. I'll but, be uh, here all week. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, I don't know, this conversation is interesting. I really appreciate you bringing all this research kind of to the forefront and, and kind of looking to things a little bit deeper because to me, it sounds like this vagus nerve is is a very big part of the mind-body connection. And like you were saying, I think we always try to give something to the listeners and and knowing that just breath work can help your relationship with your mind and body, I think is a great mm-hmm. is a great tip for everybody. I always, you know, I always try to say if you if you're just trying to get started and figure things out, what's the most simple molecule? It's oxygen. It's, you know, let's let's start the most simplest thing. Get that in your life a little bit more and focus on your breathing, connect with your breath, and that's going to have a huge benefit. And it sounds like a lot of that is to do with the vagus nerve. Definitely, definitely. And I mean, you know, breathing oxygen affects so many different parts of the body, of yeah, course. of course. But yeah, I would say that, you know, uh, as a good takeaway, you know, just practice meditating even five minutes a day. I know meditation is a really scary thing for some people, but there's a lot of really great apps online that do like the shorter meditations, the two-minute meditations, five-minute meditations. Even if you don't have any of the apps, you can go on YouTube and find something that works for you. It sometimes is nice for people who are just getting started with breath work, pranayama meditation, to kind of almost be talked through it so that maybe that mental clutter doesn't come in as much. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people say like, oh, well, I think too much when I meditate, which is is really not a problem at all. I think that's a common misconception. But 
just focusing on your breathing and almost being coached through your breathing actually does change your physiological state from a fight or flight response, which, you know, admittedly for me is more of like my natural state. I've always been, you know, even since I was a kid, I was always kind of like an anxious, stressed out little kid. I just took on the the problems of the world as a four-year-old. But because of that, I've had to learn these um, self-regulation, these, um, you know, kind of self-soothing techniques and as a result it's led me into like this line of research which kind of explains the why behind the what like why does you know not holding my breath like actually help my my stress levels I can actually understand the physiological response for why why that is the way it is yeah no and I think you have a lot of great insight into this topic you know I've liked hearing all these different things. And, you know, we focused a lot really on the gut and really the vagus nerve and, and, and kind of how that af- uh, affects us. You know, I think we could have a whole episode on the vagus nerve. Yeah, um, definitely. But yeah, and I think overall with with the, you know, we're, we're, we're approaching an hour, you know, we don't have to stop super soon, but, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of not really wrapping it up, but kind of moving the conversation along. I mean, I think it's very apparent that there is definitely a bi-directional pathway. And I know in just a little bit of research I I did before this, hearing a lot of, you know, even MDs, and there's a lot of evidence now that shows there is a connection with the mind and body. And, you know, like we said before, social interaction affects the way you heal from all different kinds of ailments. And, you know, I know... For certain, if somebody has asthma and they're put in a stressful situation, they may not be put in a state where they're running hard or anything like that, but they still can induce asthmatic symptoms just being stressed out just by dealing with that lion that's trying to eat you or aka Mm -hmm. your boss or the deadline that you missed or the family obligation that you didn't make time for, but you're trying to get to and you're constantly in this stressed out environment, you're going to exacerbate whatever chronic illness or, or, or... anything that you're dealing with is just going to be exacerbated by that stress, by not being aware of how our mind affects the body. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, just another takeaway is that your mindset really does affect your body. So just simply being cognizant, being aware of the fact that there is this connection, you can be a lot more intentional about the way that you speak to yourself because that will reduce your physiological stress. That's huge with me. Yeah. And like, you know, I've been trying to get in the habit of doing positive affirmations, especially when I get stressed out, almost kind of like self-soothing, like, all right, shared, like almost kind of talking to myself as if I was talking to my best friend. Like think about when you're talking to your best friend, you're like, don't, don't feel down on your luck. You've got this. This is just a, this is just a hiccup. Like you're going to be able to pick yourself up from this. You're an amazing person. Anyone would be lucky to have you in X, Y, or Z situation. And this does not define who you are as an individual. How often do we tell ourselves that? Never. I mean, I know me. Yeah. I mean, I'm the kind of person that like when I'm trying to get through a workout or something like that, I'm like, all right, little bitch, let's go. Get that <laughs> shit. Don't be a little, like, you know, and I'm and sorry if that's offensive you do to need people, that. people. But like, you know, that's, yeah. It, but, you know, I think, and I know we've talked about it before, but that just doesn't lead to 
positive overall, pushing yourself and beating yourself down mentally. Yeah. Raising your stress level to get stuff done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And definitely not. Being a little bit more, you know, and me for that for me, rephrasing that would be you've done this before. You can, you know, you can push yourself. Think about how good you're gonna feel at the end of this workout. Like you're a champion. You can do this, like, and kind of having that talk track of like you know, I, I love, I used to do the Peloton and the instructor Robin or whatever. And she's like, put that invisible crown on, go get it. <laughs> like, I love that. Yes. Put your crown up. on King. Yeah. Put your <laughs> crown on King. Um, but you know, cause, cause I kind of grew up with that negative talk track. And a lot of that comes from different things in your life, you know, especially younger before they had cell phone videos and stuff. Football, even from a young age was a very like, tough love kind of environment. Mm-hmm. And and I was raised and and in a lot of ways I really appreciate my my parents in general for giving me a lot of tough love. I think I needed it personally. But at the same time, there's always whether something's a benefit or not, there's always side effects of it. And I think one of those side effects is I give myself tough love a lot. And I think that we definitely Tough love should be for other people. I don't think tough love should be for ourselves to put on it. Yeah. I think there's a difference between discipline and tough love. And I think tough love or what we understand that to be is a lot more of those like negative affirmations, like, you know, calling yourself a little bitch when you're trying to get through a workout. Instead, you know, doing kind of like what you were saying, something that I do is like, you know, setting an intention, just kind of like really quick affirmations, like I am strong. I am healthy. I can do this. I'm proud of myself for being able to get through this. I'm going to take a quick breather and I'm going to get back to it and I'm going to finish this workout and I'm going to feel amazing afterwards. And I do. And then I'm like, I'm so proud of myself for doing that and for reaching my goals and for, you know, living my values, you know, because I, I think that's sometimes a tricky thing in the health and fitness community is that our beliefs and our values don't always match up to our actions. So we might be preaching a lot, but are we practicing what we preach? Not always. And I mean, we're the, we're the first, we're the (laughs) first to admit that that. definitely. But, um, you know, when you give yourself the moment to recognize that, you know, you are practicing what you preach. I think a lot of times we beat ourselves so much for the things that we aren't doing, but we don't give the same amount of time to credit ourselves for what it is that we are doing. I think that, and honestly, that for me personally, that is, if you want to kind of boil down to something that gives me anxiety, I will approach the end of the day, the end of the work day. And I'm like, oh, I didn't get anything done. I got all this stuff I still got to do and all. And then I, I have to look back and I almost have to journal and like almost make a after list like it's good to make lists all the time and that way you can visually see what you've done. But sometimes I have to after and I just go through and I write down the things I've done so I can visually see, oh, hey, you actually did do a lot today. Why are you beating yourself up? Like you can call those people tomorrow. It's fine. Like stuff is naturally going to pile up as your day progresses. Yeah. But we got to be mindful and be cognizant of what was going on. And just kind of having that overall mental shift will make you feel, for me, obviously it reduces my anxiety. My chest doesn't feel as tight. My shoulders drop a little bit. Mm-hmm. My, my, my traps are not all tight, pulling my shoulders to my, my ears and in that kind of gremlin posture gremlin posture that, oh, I've been working all day kind mm-hmm. of thing. And as much as stretching and stuff helps, just being in the right mindset helps. I think a lot of yoga is a mental 
is a mental benefit that in turn makes you physically feel better. I think, you know, if your body's in a rested parasympathetic state, you're going to be much more flexible. You're going to have much more balance. You're going to be a better overall human. And I think yoga is a great intersection of the physical and the mental mm-hmm. and a practice that, and like we've talked about before, I'm not going a yogi going to a yoga studio all the time, but I'm at least doing a couple of yoga moves every day and trying to focus on my breath at least at some point. And that has a huge impact in my life. Oh yeah. I would say, um, you know, I don't meditate every single day, admittedly. I know I should, but I don't. But I do yoga every single day, even if it's just a quick vinyasa flow, uh, because I know how much it helps me just focusing on my breath, focusing on that that spirit, that life force energy, allowing it to fr- flow freely through me, you know, focusing on what it is that my body is actually doing. I've been able to really uh, kind of circling back to the very beginning of our conversation, I've been able to develop such a stronger relationship with my body and knowing where I am in space um, because of yoga and especially with the way that the yoga teachers and the trainers almost kind of talk through the movements. They actually explain like, okay, like kind of almost like you have a personal trainer, like you want to focus on this area of your body. You want to make sure that all four corners of your feet are firmly planted into the ground. You want to have that hollow body. You want to, you know, like stretch out your chest and have your, um, you know, shoulder blades pinched together like there's a pencil in between them. Like almost kind of having those verbal cues while you're working out. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. And then over time, it just it clicks together. And so you're you're getting that mind, that body, that spirit connection all in one workout. And I think everybody should do yoga. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I uh uh I was I I've I've written a little bit of it, but I haven't really expanded on it. But I was writing a blog post one time because I'll just randomly write stuff down called like, bro, do some yoga or something like that. Like yes. I was talking with my buddy about more it. men need to do yoga. Yeah. And I've had this conversation with my buddy before. I think we even talked about it on Wellness Wednesday when I was doing that. But yeah, yoga is huge. And I think, like I said, kind of tying in everything, it's that it's such a more focused. I think people, you can make lifting weights and you can make running and you can make all that a meditative mind-body practice. Mm -hmm. But it takes a lot of focus. A lot of people don't know how to do it. And also there's not a lot of environment. It's I can't get a mind-body workout lifting weights in a gym with 40 other people and people are talking and blasting headphones and there's things banging around and stuff. Mm -hmm. I can do it in my garage by myself on the squat rack with the door closed, literally no, uh, nobody bothering me and I can find that. But I think for yoga, that's like the focus. The focus is the mind body connection. The focus is creating that relationship that affect, you know, that stimulating that bi-directional pathway. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think that just wraps everything up perfectly. Honestly. Yeah, no, it definitely does. I mean, I think just to recap, we talked, you know, make sure eating good stuff. We're eating good. Breathing good. We're breathing good. And we're moving good. We're moving good. Yeah. (laughs) That actually, yeah, that's perfect. That, that hits the, the nail on the coffin right there. Yeah. And just, I think overall what people can take away is just understanding that, you know, Sometimes you may feel anxious, but it may be because you didn't do certain things in the earlier in the day that 
would lead you to feel not anxious. Mm-hmm. Or there may be something going on in your life that's very stressful. And you have to understand that your body may change a little bit because you're going through like a really stressful time and you may not be able to work out like you used to work out. And maybe it's okay to relax. You know, there's... You're allowed to take the, like, you know, pump the brakes a little bit, you know, and don't, don't feel guilty about that uh, by any means. I mean, life throws us off our direction all the time, but kind of like even we've alluded in previous conversations, it's, you know, how, how do you get back on the horse? If you fall off of it, how do you, how do you come back to the center? How do you find yourself again? Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I just, you know, I just can't stress enough to people that, and I, and I stress it because I've seen it in my own life. Movement and fitness and nutrition and everything has helped me deal with, I would say, at certain times in my life, very high levels of stress, certain dealing, get it going in and out of depression, you know, that definitely my connection to my body and mind, like, you know, when my mind is down, the body can bring it back up. But also the same thing, you know, and I'm sure we'll talk about this on more episodes. And I think we could literally keep talking about this for hours. <laughs> oh, but, you know, definitely. Sometimes your mental needs to bring up your physical. And you talk about that with the positive affirmations with, you know, relieving stress through reframing the mind. It can have such a great impact on you physically. And that's just the one thing I want people to take away from this episode is, you know, you are what you eat. You are how you move. You are like, there's, you are how you think. Like everything affects the other one. And it doesn't matter where you start at some point, but if if breathing works for you, start with breathing. If going for a run works for you to make you feel better, go for a run. If eating a healthy meal balances you out, do that. And it's all about understanding that connection with your body and just figuring that out. And that's all what we're all trying to do. And it makes health so much easier when you have that connection and you understand that those pathways. And I think it's also really encouraging to know that if you do one good thing for your mind or your body that it's it has a compounding benefit it benefits your being as a whole it improves your your spirit even um you know just your 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 happiness your joy your the way that you feel about yourself the way that you feel about your relationships the way that you feel about your connection to the world it connects back to basically everything Definitely. I think this has been an awesome conversation. Um, is there anything you kind of want to wrap up with? Do you feel good? I feel like, you know, you, you've dropped some, some gems on us today, Cher. Well, I appreciate that, Robbie. Yeah, I think that was pretty much everything that I wanted to talk about. So I'm good. So I'll let you sign us off. All right. So we're wrapping up with the Balance and Moderation podcast. My name is Rob at The Wellness Rob. If you guys have questions on anything, you can reach out to me. You can also reach out to Cher at The Soul and Science. All, you know, that's the the Instagram handle. I'm sure if you're you're listening, hopefully you're following us and we're bringing you some benefit. I, I hope that is the case, but we're always there to reach out and, and we have different services that we can offer, but just kind of closing it out. Remember to please like, subscribe, you know, share, do everything. If, if this podcast really has helped you or, you know, if you want to help support us in any way, just please share with even just one person. If you can share with the right one person, that's better than blasting it on social media. And it means, it means more 
even to me, I'm sure it means more to the person, but it means more to me um, if somebody's really taking their time and thinking and saying, hey, I think this person would really benefit from what Rob and Cher are talking about. So if I could just leave you with that, that would be great. Again, this is the Balance of Moderation podcast. I'm Rob. This is Cher. And we just want you to, to go with love, go with peace. Big love's the mood. Big love is the mood. Thanks for joining us, guys. Have a great night. Hey everyone, Rob here. Really appreciate you listening to our episode. Just real quick, this podcast is for information and inspiration purposes only. Any personal opinions or views do not replace medical advice. Balance and Moderation recommend all listeners embarking on their wellness journey to do so under appropriate supervision by a healthcare provider. Thanks.